Season's Greetings from Channel 9. ABC preempts its regularly scheduled programming for the following special. Brought to you this Christmas morning by Walt Disney World. Attention, please. Eastern Airlines Flight 19, now ready for departure. Welcome aboard the Walt Disney World Express Monorail. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we're entering the vacation kingdom of the world. There's enough land here to hold all of the ideas and plans we could possibly imagine. We call it Epcot. will be our experimental prototype city of tomorrow. Welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast taking you back to the vacation kingdom of the world, the way it was, and the way it is in your memories. And now, here are your hosts. Okay, welcome to episode 14 of the Retro Disney World podcast. This is entitled Christmas Around the World. I'm your host, Todd McCartney, and sitting in with me tonight, as always, is JT Couser. Hi, how you doing? Good, good. Brian P. Miles. Season's greetings from the Keystone State. Keystone. They always got a signature line. And Mr. Hal Bowers from Florida tonight. Melee Cookie Maka, everyone. There we go. So uh, we're going to be going through what Christmas was like in the early years at uh, Walt Disney World. And uh, But before we get to that, uh, we, want, we got some corrections and comments from last month. And um, how you had one on the Walt Disney World globe that we had. Now, we put this up, what? seven eight i think it was the souvenir episode oh yeah yeah yeah. that's right that's right seven eight episodes ago or so in our souvenir episode and um you had one i believe and and jt and i had the chance to buy one never did recently but uh what'd you find out about so just this week on facebook uh some people were talking talking about it and lo and behold there were some folks that actually remembered that um that they were for sale in the contemporary and the polynesian resort gift shops Hmm. Um, they retailed in 1973 or 1974 for $75. Wow. So they all Gosh. mentioned that they wanted to have one, but it was way too expensive. And I think some of them were even employees and even with the discounts, it was, it was just a whole lot of money. So, uh, plugging that into the old inflation calculator that comes out to $330 oh. in today's money, which is close to what they're going for today. Sometimes. Yeah. So really, yeah. Yeah. if so you can get it, so it was a bad investment. If you that's right, one. you didn't make yeah. any money. What did a yeah. one night stay in the contemporary cost then? Do you know? $27. I want to yeah, say so okay. you got three nights in a hotel for one or globe. a globe. So now look at something wow. at Disney. That's, um, so you, what's, what's a contemporary night stay now? Depends on the season, but uh, between f- between four and five hundred dollars. So, so a fifth, multi- twelve to fifteen hundred dollar yeah. item. What are you going to buy? That's going <laughs> to. Is there anything those, in that uh, price range? Those are Rebus Brothers like crystal castles and yeah, stuff. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. All right. So, so how we, we what about that whole story about the travel you know travel yeah, agents so, and stuff? So it turns out that maybe this whole story about them being given out to travel agencies was actually just a myth that was concocted to inflate the price of the of those globes on the resale market. Yeah, so, and explain, hmm. and then probably to explain the scarcity. Right. Cause yeah, they exactly. certainly did. We don't have any production numbers, but there certainly was not a lot of them. 
by any means. Well, the person mentioned that uh, like there was an entire shelf of them. I, th- I think the problem was they just probably didn't at that price. They probably did not sell. No, so, there's a picture to see the whole shelf of them. Yeah. Wow, well, but e- even if they're, I mean, look, if they sold a thousand of them to expect 30, 40 years later for them, there to be, you know, that many in circulation, it's not like other things. Like, as we've talked about the, uh, <clears throat> I'm having a brain fart right now. How? What's the name of that uh, outfit that made all the ceramic stuff out west? Oh, uh, Treasure Craft. Treasure Craft. Mm. All the Treasure Craft stuff that they that they produced back then. Uh, I mean, there's it's just it's in abundance because there was so much of it. Uh, you know, with these things, uh, you know, yeah, a shelf of them. You know, how many of them survived forty years? Right, right, right. and made yeah. out of paper the way that they were. It's, yeah, so. Well, look at like a like a classroom globe from the seventies. They're not in the best of shape right now either. You know, they are still <laughs> yeah. laying around in schools. Believe it or not, that say USSR and all that garbage. So, it's... so JT, if if you come across another one like we did what two years ago, well, let's let's pick that thing up. That well, could, there was that could be there the was one on eBay last week. Did you guys see that one? Oh, no, I missed. That. Yeah, it, it and they were asking three hundred, and it didn't have any bids. So. Would you guys uh, like share custody of it, like? We'll split well, it. We probably four split ways. it. Yeah, we'd, well, we'd we'd send it back and forth. You know, he'd get Christmas, I'd get Thanksgiving. We'd flip flop it the next year. <laughs> I get it in the evening. Geez. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. We could bring it to our big convention event we're creating. Yeah. It's like a we can all touch it at once. Exactly. So, all right. Well, moving on from the globe. Uh, now, how you had another item here that uh, a couple people contact us about. You you had a comment. Going back, uh, I think it was last month with the yes. uh, Magic so Walt last, Disney World film. Yeah, so last month when we were watching the Magic Walt Disney World, I had this this recollection of the 1970s of, of watching the Country Bear Jamboree. And I swore that I remembered Henry the Bear mentioning Pepsi-Cola Frito-Lay in the dialogue. But I, I it was, a, I mean, it's literally, it, it has been since 1979 or 1980 was the last time I saw that. So I... Could have been just completely making that up in some kind of drug-induced haze. Um, <laughs> but for several people, uh, Steve Peterson, uh, Carrie Meisner, and Kurt Shemela actually wrote and said that it was true. It was a real thing. Henry the Bear did say that. And not only did he say that, uh, uh, Kurt actually sent me an MP3 of oh, wow. the actual song. So let's, we'll take a second hit and, yeah, uh, and listen to Pianjo. Folks, welcome to the one and only original country bear jamboree presented by Pepsi Cola and Frito Lay, featuring a bit of Americana, our musical heritage of the past. But enough of this chit chat, yak yak, and flim flam, just refrain from hibernating. <laughs> and we'll all enjoy the show because we've got a lot to give. <laughs> and it plays good too. And right now, I give you a sorted assortment of executioners of music and song the Five Bear Rugs. Plus, Gomer. Get it, boys! So I was not crazy. I no, actually you, remembered you it. Hurt you remembered coming it in hot. Yeah. Mine like a steel trap. Wow. <laughs> Rusted shut. <laughs> So interesting to hear that. Yeah, pretty cool. So, all right, we had one other thing. Um, 
good old bicentennial Ben is alive and kicking. He tweeted out at us. Uh, I'm ha- he was happy to hear that he was remembered. He heard. He heard. Uh, he must be listening to us, but. Uh, he heard his name called out in the podcast last month, and uh, looks like he's doing fine these days. So uh, good to good to hear that bicentennial Ben is still around. So if you want to tweet at him, um, you know, by the end of the show, we'll 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 get his uh, Twitter handle, and you can say hi to him. So Merry Christmas, America, Canada, Europe, and service men and women watching around the world. It's Mickey. What's wrong? I forgot the decorations. Something right this very minute because live from the Magic Kingdom in Florida, it's the Walt Disney World Very Merry Christmas Parade. All right, well, Brian, you have been working for at least twelve months on this episode. This is this is your thing, the the Christmas holiday episode. What have you what have you been putting together, and how we're going to go about starting in nineteen seventy one, right? Yeah, well. Let's, with the caveat at the beginning, is that none of these will be comprehensive, uh, as we're just kind of giving you a flavor uh, of what was going on in the parks. Join our stars, Joan London and Ben Vereen. With Regis Philbin and holiday greetings from around the world. We wanted to give you a flavor this holiday time of year of what it was like if you had gone to the park in 1971 and from there on out. Coming your way, all the magic and laughter of a Disney Christmas. A holiday peek at Epcot Center's new Living Seas Pavilion. Plus, a behind-the-scenes look at Captain EO starring Michael Jackson. Participating advertisers of the Walt Disney World Very Merry Christmas Parade are Eckert Drugs. When you're in Florida or anywhere in the South, you're close to an Eckert drugstore for photo processing, prescriptions, or just about anything else you need. And Gaines Foods, makers of Gravy Train and other fine Gaines dog food. Gaines, the company that shares America's love of dogs. The pristine November 1971 film you get to see uh, the initial Christmas decorations that were up just along Main Street, USA. Nothing else in the park was decorated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was the garland across the, the street and, and some wreaths and, and uh, some holly and bows at places. But uh, we'll begin by talking about the most famous thing and longest lived thing that is done in the parks. And that is the candlelight procession. Lots of people going to Florida choose a rent-a-car company by comparing rates. Hello, what's your rate? Uh-huh. What's your rate? Yeah, what's your rate? But these days, everyone offers low rates in Florida, so it pays to compare services. What do you get for that? Uh-huh. What do you get? What do you get? Hertz offers computerized driving directions, 24-hour road service, and there's never a drop-off charge in Florida. So come to Hertz. The services add up, but your bill won't. Hertz, you don't just rent a car, you rent a company. And for those of you who've seen it, experienced it in the last 20 years, you will have experienced it in Epcot and uh, the America Gardens Theater in front of the American Pavilion and World Showcase. And uh, it is a show that usually has a celebrity narrator and a choir made up of Disney cast members uh, who perform uh, portions of the story of Christmas. And there's musical uh, uh 
moments in it that are that are acted out and uh, the whole show's what i guess about 45 minutes is that correct yeah something like that yeah it's it's been i've only sat through it a couple of times i, I catch it all the time but i only did the whole business where we get the <clears throat> get the dinner dinner package and sit through it a couple of times so uh the candlelight processional uh, which is still very popular it has its roots actually at disneyland in 1958 was the first year that they did it Mm. Uh, and when it was done in Disneyland and later, you know, in 1971, they, they started it at the magic kingdom when we opened here in Florida. Uh, it actually involved a procession that came down main street and, uh, they would fill in, uh, in front of the train station, uh, looking out towards town square and down main street and would perform this. Uh, the cast members would form like a human Christmas tree. That uh, just doesn't gr- sound safe. It sounds no. like a, a well, human Christmas tree. It sounds a human like a cheer- cheerleader. Uh, you know, have some pictures we can tweet out. Uh, most of them are in black and white, but we have some pictures we can tweet out uh, and post on the site to to kind of give you the idea. They they do the same thing now on the risers, except it's not as tall and convincing as it was when it was when it was at the main street theater because the america gardens theater isn't laid out like that but the early years at magic kingdom in florida involved a thousand performers (laughs) so i I don't know how many cast members they had at the time and you know what what the outside groups as far as like high school choirs and stuff they worked in there but the early years when they did it at the uh, at the Magic Kingdom, uh, it involved a thousand performers, and uh, they performed it in the Magic Kingdom from 1971 through 1992. And normally it was done a few nights, uh, they, one, two, sometimes three nights. In fact, the one year I had in my notes that they did it uh, like the uh, the 20th, 21st, and 22nd of the month. Uh, and then, uh, they would have a celebrity narrator. The, one of the famous early pictures from the magic kingdom is rock Hudson. Uh, in fact, there's a website. We'll have to put a link up to it that lists every celebrity narrator they had until they moved it, uh, in 1993 to Epcot center. And they moved it to world showcase where they began performing it, uh, in the America gardens theater, replacing another show that was there that we'll touch on. Uh, but they wanted to allow for more nights and more people to see it. Where, so no, that, go, going back to to the uh, you know the celebrities were they yeah. were these B level celebrities or were they? What, it was what were they mix. getting? It was a mix because you would yeah. get. I mean, Ro- I don't know that Rock Hudson was ever really a B level celebrity. Uh, just like today, you get Neil Patrick Harris and Whoopi Goldberg do it every year. Right. You know, but then you also get lesser people. I mean, and back then. A lot of times you had Disney stars like Dean Jones and guys like that. That would, Kurt Russell, Shields know, and Yarnell. Shields and, Shields and Yarnell were they were busy being babies. That's right, they were. <laughs> or some that another act when they yeah. could have. But been. yeah, to give you some perspective, in 1975 it was December 20th and 21st. In 83 it was December 10th and 11th. When they moved it to Epcot in 93, the first year they did 15 nights with two performances each night. The following year in 1994, Epcot 94, Ooh. it was 30 nights with two performances. So, wow. I mean, the show went from being a couple nights wow. to, to, to 30 performances to 60 performances. In just, in just one year. In, in, in yeah. a couple of years. Yeah, yeah, a couple of years they they moved it that way. <clears throat> so I'm looking at a list here. So 
<clears> so Dean Jones did it twice, yeah, which oh. is pretty pretty hmm. something. Howard Keel? Why am I? That's like not that name is not ringing a bell to me at all. I know I've heard it, but I, I'm lost. Uh, McLean Stevenson in 1989. How I think Keel I'm, was in was uh, he was a showboat. Yeah. Oh, but, that's right. Oh, uh, yeah. They, a lot of times they had like Broadway and musical theater people. Okay. So. Makes okay. sense. Oklahoma as well. And he was also, it looks like he was also in Dallas. Walter Cronkite in 1988. That would oh, have been a good year. Big one. And, uh, Walter Cronkite. George Kennedy in 1991. I would have loved to have seen that. <laughs> that would have been amazing. Who's still alive, by the way? Some highlights. I can. Okay. Rock Hudson, Cary Grant. Dean Jones, Joseph Campanella. Yeah, Joe Uh, Campanella. Okay, Rock Hudson Hudson again. (laughs) What? Ross Martin. Well, you you get him once. You you get him on like a three-shot deal, right? Yeah, Perry Como. Oh, that would have been Mr. Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. Then Rock Hudson again, (laughs) four-timer. And then like like Steve Martin on Saturday Night Live. Yeah, James Hampton and Darren McGavin. Darren McGavin. Darren McGavin. Ooh, well, though, right? Trivia where he kind of where. Yeah, it's his famous. No, record. no, no, no. Darren McGavin was the dad in yeah. uh, Christmas Story. In Christmas Story. Uh, okay, wait. Yeah. What year did he do it? Does it say? 1981. Oh, when was Christmas Story? There's Eight. the question. I feel like it was like 83 or something. 82. Yeah, yeah. Let's look that mm-hmm. up real quick. It's also you know, the year I was born, so. It was 83, yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. So he did it two years before a warm-up to Christmas Story. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Pat and Shirley Boone in 82. Pat Boone. Pat Boone. Mm. And his wife, for whatever reason. Yeah. Then Joe, Joseph Campanella in 83. Rock Hudson again in 84 for the fourth. Rock. He's time. the rock, that's why. That's you right. Always count on him. He didn't live much longer, so he didn't do it again. Mm. Yeah. Howard Keel in 85 and 86. Dean Jones again in 87. Walter Gronkite in 1988, uh, McLean Stevenson in 1989, probably coming fresh off of that, uh, his big show, Hello, Larry. Yeah. <laughs> Alex Trebek, 1990. <laughs> Paul Azan, 1992. How about that? Hmm. Paul Azan. Isn't she on television now or something? She was it's like CBS, the, the morning show back then. She was like, ah, it was the weekday morning show on CBS. Back then. There we go. So these are all at Epcot, or when did it? What no, year did you no, start no, these at Epcot? Are all still again? Magic Kingdom. This is all Magic. Oh, oh, oh. Because oh, okay. once they this they would just have one person every year. Once they go to Epcot, it was you know obviously four and five weeks of of different people who would come in and be guest narrators. So. Who's like the ultimate though? Who's done the most? Because you said there was like thirty shows one year. Like who did? And it was was that like one person did all thirty no, shows? No. What they do is they bring in. I mean, the way they do it now, and presumably the way they did it then, was they have one person per week. You know, one person uh, comes in and and does the shows. I want to know who like who's the Iron Man though that did. So, the I, I most. think it's got to be Rock Hudson. Rock. <laughs> the original had to be Rock Hudson. These these days, I mean, Whoopi Goldberg and Neil Patrick Harris have been doing it every year now for. But they do one one show, while. right, or two? No, no, no. They come and do it. They do a week. They do it. It's what is it? Are like you they sure? do? Yeah, they, they yeah, do they a do a it one, like Thursday through Sunday or something. I think they do it. That's the same oh, time that the, they record the. Uh, don't they record the actual uh, parade too around that time? The one yeah, that gets broadcast. They, they it start. Once. It's basically the month of December. They start the beginning of December, and there's usually. I think there's like eight different guest narrators over the course. Yeah, it's a it's they a have big schedule out. You can go Google it and look at it. It's yeah. 
so the uh, that's the candlelight procession. It still goes on today. It's become a much bigger deal. You can buy dinner packages with it to guarantee seating. People line up for hours beforehand to get into the theater and, and see it, especially when there's very popular celebrity narrators. Uh, they have a rotating section these days of you know, 10 or 15 people, I think, that come in over the course of the month and, and fulfill the duties. Uh, so the Candlelight Processional, which began in 1958 in Disneyland, it's a Walt Disney original, lives on today. Ah, that's great. Just in case you didn't get the message from that, Mickey Mouse is coming to town. In fact, he'll be in our parade, <laughs> which is now at the starting position. And we'll blow the whistle and march them out right after this. Introducing a new, longer-lasting Energizer. The new Energizer AA battery. It's supercharged. It's new. The longest-lasting Energizer ever. No battery in the world can outlast it. Now, radios play 14 hours longer than before. Now, 48 more flash pictures than before. It's supercharged. The new Energizer AA. No battery in the world outlasts it. It's supercharged. Welcome back to Walt Disney World's Very Merry Christmas Parade. And just where is this parade? Well, it's winding its way through Frontierland. In just a few minutes, it'll be on Main Street, USA, right in front of our cameras. These days, everybody knows Christmas starts the first week of November in, in Walt Disney World. Uh, and in Disneyland, they start to decorate the parks uh, as pretty much as soon as they put away the Halloween decorations. Everything's out. Uh, but back in the uh, early years, that was not how it was. Uh, in 1975, for example, for a brochure from 75, Christmas was a 15-day event. It started on December 20th and ran through January 3rd. Most of the celebrations at that time focused on live name entertainment, uh, where they would have a schedule of people who would come in and perform like uh, Casey and the Sunshine Band or the Arthur Hurley Band. Uh, country music stars Marilyn Sellers and Bob Sanders uh, performing their hits One Day at a Time and Mountains in the Morning. So if you were a fan of those folks, you would come and see them perform in the park. And that was a lot of what went on with the, uh, the Christmas entertainment back then. Uh, the Garland, I mentioned, if you look at that pristine 71 film that we have, the, the Garland was across Main Street, was strung up from the very first year, 1971. And it lived on until 2012. Two years ago, it was retired uh, in favor of wreaths with a candle in the center of them that are just hung from the light posts on the side. And the reason for that change uh, is because when they designed the Festival of Fantasy parade floats, the dragon was too tall and would have ripped down the garland. Oh. So they had to. <laughs> it, it also, for if you're, you know, this is my personal thing. I actually think it looks nicer because you get a nice shot up Main Street uh, towards the castle, which right, right. The, the garland would obstruct it for two months yeah. uh, when when they used to ha have it up. So that's one of the reasons that they made the trade change was the parade, which, you know, speaking of parades, uh, in the Magic Kingdom, they had a variety of parades that they would run during the holiday season, but just for the holidays. Uh, and of course, you know, again, keeping in mind that the holidays for them was usually mid December through new year's, uh, none of this like starting in November stuff, but they had a, uh, <clears throat> the eight, late eighties, early nineties, they had a Mickey's Christmas cavalcade, which was a character parade, uh, back in the 75 one, they had, they ran a nighttime performance of America on parade. 
Uh, <laughs> so that was running. Uh, they would just run the, you know, the daytime parade. They would run it at like a special nighttime performance of it. Uh, and in the eighties, they had one called fantasy on parade, which was a Christmas theme parade. And I guess back then, uh, how they did not do fireworks every night. So, so the, during the Christmas time, one of the big things was if the magic kingdom was open until midnight, there would be a nighttime parade and fireworks. That's pretty, that's a pretty hmm. big deal. Yeah. yeah. I like that. <clears throat> the other thing that they, uh, that was pretty big part of the, uh, Christmas celebrations has been the stage shows. Uh, I picked up some information on some of them. Uh, the, in the 80s, they had um, Mickey's Twas the Night Before Christmas show, which they performed in Tomorrowland on the stage there, which eventually, uh, I mean, it was started running in the 80s and eventually ran until they started Totally Tomorrowland Christmas, which is the bizarre but oddly loved <laughs> show that, that runs today. <laughs> With Stitch and a variety of other people, and hey, what's the woman? What's the girl's name? Haley Comet, right? I think I think that's her name. Oh yeah, she's the star of the show. Um, back then, though, they also had a Castle Forecourt show, which was the Sparkling Christmas Spectacular, and that was uh, ran in the seventies and eighties, and it was Donald and Uncle Scrooge telling uh, their version of the Scrooge story for Christmas. And uh, Fantasyland had its own show uh, called Fantasy Follies that starred characters. Uh, and, and that was held on, on that. Uh, they had a. The retractable stage we had talked about. I think so. Yeah. Yep. That's where it was back there. Right. Uh, and in terms of lighting, just as a side note, they really didn't do a lot of that until the Castle Lights debuted in 2007, hmm. which it's. I can't believe this is the eighth year for the Castle Lights, but. Uh, so they only started doing that lighting the castle in all 2007. Uh, but starting in 1984, they changed one of the attractions for Christmas. Uh, who wants to tell me what that attraction was? Oh, 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 oh go how you got your arm up. Uh, country bear jamboree. Yeah. They would change wow. that over to the country bear Christmas special. You can watch the whole show online. Uh, but it was, uh, something that they started doing. Uh, to generate, you know, an added attraction at Christmas time to draw people in, and that show ran from 1984 through 2005. And I actually always really enjoyed that show. I used to go; uh, my trips were usually during Christmas time, so I always enjoyed seeing that show. And they stopped doing it in 2005. Now, and, and that is a shame. The highlight, I think, for me was Big Al. Like in the baby new year, like <laughs> diaper thing. It that was, was, really, that really was a huge well, laugh. You really should watch the whole show on YouTube. It was really well done. I to the point where even the side, the the uh, the the mounted heads on the side. Yeah, Melvin, Buff, and Max. Yeah, the one got his own Rudolph red nose. I mean, it was it was just it was a really really fun show and a nice nice seasonal change for what could become a tired attraction. You know, an animatronic stage show. Are there, are there any? Other attractions that that was ever done to. We all know Carousel Progress always ended with Christmas and New Year's, but did has there any any other attraction that actually was modified through the years just for a holiday season, or is it a rarity? Well, that it's I can... becoming no, it's becoming more common now. Yeah, uh, you know, obviously, you know, in Disneyland they do the Haunted Mansion holiday overlay, they do the mm -hmm. World holiday overlay. 
largely because that's a commuter park. It draws local crowds, not so much resort sure. vacationers. And so they change things throughout the year to try and boost attendance and keep people coming. Uh, over here, I'm not familiar with it other than the Jingle Cruise, which yeah, they started so last right. year. Right? Last year was the first two, year? Two years. Yeah. So we could do a, a Space Mountain, a Santa's sled. We could do a, a Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Pirates of nice. the Christmas Bean or something. Yeah, like the that. Christmas yeah. <laughs> Christmas uh, Bean. What I'm really hoping for is uh, Kwanzaa Manjaro Safaris. Kwanzaa. <laughs> Kwanzaa. Kwanzaa Manjaro. Yeah. Hey, that so, actually fits. Like, yeah. So, yeah, so the reason that it, that it, uh, it ended was that the show to set up uh, was $50,000, and then to revert it back to its original form after Christmas was $50,000. Mm. And someone working on the budgets decided that that was $100,000 that they didn't need to spend in their division, that it didn't generate enough. If, it, if you listen to enough Tony Baxter or read these these other Imagineer books, you know that everything at Disney is weighted on how many people come through the turnstile for this attraction. And when we change something, how many more people come through the turnstile and it was just not generating enough additional people coming into it for them in their minds with their pencils and their, their calculators to say it was worth spending the hundred thousand dollars a year to change it over. I have been told before when I've brought this up uh, from people that, that don't discount that it might not return someday, that it might not be something that they, they try again. So I would like to see that happen. Oh, right there. that's great. And of course, anyone will be able to come and visit the Living Seas Pavilion starting uh, January the 15th. That's right. And you'll all get to see more of the Very Merry Christmas Parade right after we come back from these messages. Don't go away. Don't go away. Disc photography by Kodak. It's changing the way people take pictures. Picture, a brand new world. The Kodak disc camera advances the film automatically so you can get the pictures you may have missed before. And it knows when to flash, and can flash again in one and one-third seconds. All you do is push one button. The Kodak Disc 4000 camera. Bet you know someone who'd love one. Picture a brand new world. What power? We're Superman. Superman, can you hear me? What moves? Your secret's safe with me. I'm not going to tell anyone. What a guy. I never thought this thing would go the distance. Superman 2. Sunday at 8, 7 Central. Oh, welcome back to the parade. You got here just in time because you know what, Ben? What? It is time to start the show. So let's go down to Main Street, USA for the start of Walt Disney World's very merry Christmas parade. The Christmas parade, uh, which began in 1983. And we actually have some details on the 1983 broadcast. Uh, because it was recorded live on Christmas Day. It was broadcast out. Uh, the broadcast began at 1.30 in the afternoon, and they would uh, and they would they actually did it live. Uh, <clears throat> and it changed uh, over the years after that, but uh, to eventually becoming more pre-produced as it is today. Uh, and, and these days they actually record it weeks ahead of time. It's usually the first weekend in December. Most it's of the stuff is disappointing. I don't know. Most of the stuff is recorded now. The, the, but, but back then, it was live from the Magic Kingdom at 1.30 on Christmas Day. And they would, uh, you know, they, would, they would broadcast the parade live. So 
Uh, as you know, today it's all musical performances, and they pre-record people in front of Disneyland's castle and the Magic. Oh, it's, it's already recorded, isn't it, for this year? Like it's it, it, done. It will be, yeah. Into like all the intros, and they did it and, back in like November. Uh, and, yeah, they recorded in November this year, which is uh, abnormally early. Yeah. yeah. Wow. It's so I don't. I that prefer. Just, that's, that's I like dress like pilgrims. You know. <laughs> I prefer day of live. Yeah, live. You got to do a live. Let's start a campaign. Starring and featuring such celebrities as Vince, right? Yeah, Rock Hudson, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> equivalent modern day celebrities. Because you know, because you know, Rock Hudson, even though he was, I mean, he's famous, famous, but he was, it was probably ten years in the rearview mirror since he made a big movie. You know, by the time he was doing some of these <laughs> these candlelight processionals, yeah. So, you know, I, I, I wonder, somebody, if, you know, he's like a Nicholas Cage, you know. He's a, I wonder if they're concerned about something, you know, happening live or if it's like they, they just know they've got control. Well, then they have that marketing tool for both parks. They bounce back and forth and they couldn't do that live, you know. Right. So uh, from what I kind of recall, it, the first ones that, that aired were actually they purchased the airtime in order to put it on. It, it wasn't a show that the, that the network actually asked for. They actually almost ran it like a commercial Mm. Uh, to get mm. people to see uh, the Magic Kingdom, and then over the course of time, it, it actually became like more of a of a real show. But uh, the first couple ones, I think, were actually bought and paid for, like advertising. <laughs> Not the parade they asked for, but the parade they needed at that time. <laughs> right, and and actually, that is one of the ironic things because I I have some vague recollections going at, uh, at Christmas time in in the nineteen eighties, like when these uh, parades just started, and Christmas Day was fairly dead um but then as the parade uh got more and more fame it's and people kind of expected it to be done live on christmas day all of a sudden christmas day got incredibly busy hmm. and now it's busy the weeks up to because people expect it to be taped then and like you said jt it's like now it's getting taped in november and people are, are probably there in december expecting it to be shot so right and, and they actually don't announce like, hey, we're going to record it on these days. It's it's usually like a day's warning. You can there's there's telltale signs because well they used to move the tree. Um, uh, it's one of the things that the the Christmas tree used to go up uh, in the rose garden uh, to the right of the the the, the castle, uh, right outside where the um, the Plaza Ice Cream Parlor is. Okay, so, so they would put the tree up there until they filmed the parade, and then they would move the tree down to Main Street to Town Square. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Um, and then they stopped doing that altogether. So they put the tree up in town square and <laughs> sometimes when they're filming the parade, they take the tree down so that they can, they can get their shots and then they put it back up for other shots. Uh, that, that's, that's, that used to be the musical tree coming up and down there. That is amazing. It, it is, isn't it? I mean, it's just, it was one of those early quirks of, uh, of the uh, of the thing, they would have the tree in in the rose garden for the first like month, and then move it down to town square for for actual Christmas. Uh, that is the Magic Kingdom for now. There's a lot of other stuff there, uh, but you know, for now, it's 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 where we're where we're at with the Magic Kingdom. We'll come yeah. back to it in next year's episode when you all email us and say, "Hey, you forgot." X Y Z and this part thing. two coming December two thousand December December yes December two thousand and sixteen. And speaking of Main Street, let's go down there right now to our co-host Regis Philbin. Regis, how is it down? Thank there? you, Joe, and a Merry Christmas to you. Yeah, we got a lot of excitement down here. We got Jeff from Michigan right here. How are you, Jeff? 
A lot of folks from Canada. You know, the one thing about the crowds here, you never know where they're from. They're really from all over the world. Nice to have you with us, Jeff. Now, here's Gary from Polk City, Iowa. Who comes every other year, right? Right, every other year. <laughs> nice to have you here. And some la uh, lady here who has just moved from Long Island to Florida? Kissimmee, Florida. Kissimmee, Florida. Is that the way you pronounce it? Kissimmee. What about at night? Kissimmee. Aha, uh -huh. see how you are? Very good. Anyway, it's nice to... Where are you from, young man? I said... My parents said Maryland. Yeah, but you're really from Tennessee, aren't you? Uh-uh. No, the kid's all confused. Anyway, we got a lot of folks here. This lady is wearing earmuffs. Can you believe it? Never wear earmuffs here at Disney. And here, if you come here, you got to have cameras. Cameras right here. All right. All right, that's what's going on down here on Main Street. We're all waiting for the parade. Now back to you and uh, Ben, uh, Joan. <laughs> As we mentioned, the candlelight processional moved from the Magic Kingdom over to Epcot in 1993. But that was not when Epcot started celebrating the holidays. They started celebrating the holidays the first year they were open in 1982 with, uh, <clears throat> with a, a precursor or you know predecessor, I guess, to what they produce today. Uh, what we know today is holidays around the world uh, where each country has different presentations of, uh, you know, China has the Monkey King and um, the... Uh, the France has uh, Papa Noel, and each of the countries tells you what their different holiday traditions are. Is Krampus uh, is, there? No, Kramp, Krampus is not there. We'll see if the, we'll we'll write to Germany and see if they can they can add that. <laughs> they the, they got to start now. Krampus <laughs> has got to come in strong this year. I didn't. So. Didn't Germany have Black Peter? Or am I crazy? I don't know. I don't recall. Yeah, I don't know. Anyways, go ahead. Sorry, I digress. <laughs> you, well. So the Epcot had two trees. Epcot <laughs> has always had two trees. Let's start there. Uh, there was a, a tree uh, on the bridge between uh, Future World and World Showcase. As you come into World Showcase, a large tree, uh, which is where the tree is today. And then there is usually a smaller tree in front of the American Pavilion uh, across World Showcase Lagoon from the larger tree. Uh, and we actually, later in the show, we will play a story about the tree in front of the American Pavilion that was shared with us by one of our listeners and one of our guests a few months ago. Uh, and he'll tell you an interesting anecdote about one of those trees and his interaction with it. The gingerbread houses that you see in World Showcase pavilions now is part of this trend that began in the late 90s where we make everything out of gingerbread now that it's Christmas time. It's gingerbread cars and gingerbread houses and the gingerbread White House. And the <laughs> I want a gingerbread spaceship Earth. Right. Gingerbread, gingerbread. Right. So, so there's each of the pavilions has uh, usually has some kind of a gingerbread representation these days. That, that is more a product of the last 10 years or so. But I will throw one story, side story in here. Uh, a couple of years ago, D23 hosted an event at Epcot called Holiday Splendor. It was a hard ticketed event uh, that lasted two days and you get to go and uh, I bought a ticket and went and sat there and listened to them tell us about Walt's history with Christmas and you know the early days of Christmas in the Magic Kingdom and, and, the, and the resort. And one of the stories, they had, they had different guests and one of the people that had come in one day was the executive chef for Epcot. And she told us a story uh, about how they had designed a – they always have a big gingerbread display in the American Pavilion. And it's usually the Capitol Building or Independence Hall or something like that that they make out of gingerbread. And they will display it 
in the Liberty Inn next door to the American Pavilion. They they put it in the Liberty Inn. Well, if you've ever eaten in the Liberty Inn, you know there are a lot of windows around, and uh, it's it's almost there's almost a greenhouse effect in there. Oh. <laughs> so they decided it would be a good idea to display this gingerbread creation, which was also a chocolate creation, uh, right up against the window. What a mess! And, yeah, after after a day, it melted. <laughs> it's like a laser beam coming yeah. out. So, so they then had to move it into the that year. They had to move it into the rotunda of the uh, of the American Adventure attraction. So, even Disney, with all their planning, uh, doesn't always get it right. Uh, Just like the gingerbread house of the contemporary wasn't yeah, exactly. that rattled apart, or did we debunk that? I forget. That. <laughs> no, that's oh, that's, that's right. That's, no, it, it was true. Yeah. The okay. same story was told uh, by the executive chef for Epcot in that in that weekend that 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 the first year they put that big gingerbread house in the concourse of, of the, rolled away <laughs> the, uh, the 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 vibrations of the monorail going through used to shake pieces of the the gingerbread house off and they had to strengthen their adhesive better icing yeah stronger <laughs> icing we needed super icing. Another gingerbread's one of those things that they incorporate into a lot of the World Showcase pavilions. Another thing that used to be incorporated into a lot of them are trains. Now, the mm. famous set of trains are in the German pavilion, and you can see them year-round. That was not always the case. Originally, they were only displayed in that outdoor display next to the German pavilion at Christmas time. But they became so popular that... Disney decided, all right, well, we'll just leave them out all year long and not have a Christmas theme to them. That's that thing, like right at the outskirts, right? That big right. train it's set. In Italy, right? I think. It's, yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. Like that's right. Italy, Germany, yep. in Italy. Interesting. <clears throat> at the future site of Israel or Spain or one of the countries that never came. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, and there used to actually be a train set under the tree inside the American Pavilion. Uh, there was a there was a train set that was under the tree there and that went the way of the dodo bird and actually there's i found all kinds of evidence of trains that used to operate in some of the resorts and other places that that over the years they've just retired but when the park opened because they didn't have the candlelight processional getting back to the opening uh they originally had a show called holiday splendor and that was a show that was performed on the stage in front of america and it was uh always had included dancers in an orchestra accompanied by a soloist who was usually a Broadway or music industry celeb. This is where your B celeb used to be. How <laughs> if you go back and find the list of people that did this, they were less familiar names. It was very often Broadway names, uh, song and dance, song and dance men and women. And that actually ran from park opening for 11 years until candlelight processional moved over in 93. So, so that show ran uh, from from the opening. Uh, the other famous thing that they that they do today is at the end of Illuminations, they add the Peace on Earth tag, the holiday tag, which if you've not seen it, the normal Illumination show ends <clears throat> with a standard finale that everybody's gotten used to. Uh, but during the holidays, they add the this uh, you know Hope for World Peace narration that was by Walter Cronkite until this year. Um, but there's a magnificent, uh, red and green holiday fireworks burst, like a 180 degree fireworks burst that goes off. It's, it's, it's overwhelming that, that they've added today. 
prior to that, before there was illuminations in the Peace on Earth tag, uh, they just used to run the nightly fireworks. So you'd see fantasy, uh, not fantasy in the sky. What was it called? Symph- Symphony in the sky? Sorry. Skylidoscope and the other one that they would do. Laser phonic fantasy. Laser phonic fantasy. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Laser phonic fantasy. So that was actually listed as part of the Christmas program back then. Uh, and then something that I mourn. Uh, I don't know when they started, so someone is going to be able to answer that question, but the lights of winter. And the lights of winter were this beautiful set of lattice work that they would put up on the bridge between World Showcase and uh, Future World. And it had 30, th- it, was a, it was a bridge of 30,000 lights, a canopy of 30,000 lights that extended over that bridge. <clears throat> and up through 2008, at the end of that bridge, was the Epcot tree, which is still there, but they would have an annual tree light. Every night they would have a tree lighting, Mickey's tree lighting treat show. And they'd have characters and performers from around World Showcase come and sing carols and light the tree and the arch. And there was a whole ceremony. Uh, Disney never announced they weren't bringing Lights of Winter back. <clears throat> so uh, when the following year came around and they and they didn't go up, Disney just kind of sheepishly admitted that uh, we're not bringing them back, that they had uh, retired them. No real explanation why, uh, but they were a much, much beloved thing that is missed. And on the ground floor underneath, you know, underneath the canopy off to the side, they also had this uh, display that was called the winter dandelions. And these were, they, they looked like dandelions, except they were made out of cascades of lights. And in the center of it was always a peace dove, this dove of peace that they have. And that was a display they put out every year that also went away in 2008. Hmm. So <clears throat> this is our little call out there to please bring back the lights of winter. And I know someone is going to know when they actually started the lights of winter. Yeah, that was a, that was a really cool thing. Very I, cool. <clears throat> I agree. with it. And it was, that was synchronized with music and everything in, in its final years. I mean, it was, it was just, it was really, really well done. It was very serene. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't in the center of an attraction area. So there you go. That's the, nice. uh, that's, that's our brief glimpse at Epcot and at the magic kingdom. Eastern Airlines presents a flight of imagination to Walt Disney World Epcot Center. With our low-cost vacation packages, a week here, including coach airfare and hotel accommodations, can be much less than you imagined. In fact, Eastern is the official airline of Walt Disney World. So when it comes to making your dream vacation affordable, we can work a little magic of our own. To see just how low our prices are, call your travel agent or Eastern Airlines. And welcome back to Walt Disney World in Florida, and thanks to Sarah and Scott. Regis Philbin is about to take us behind the scenes at the new Disney MGM Studios theme park. Reg? On October 1st, 1971, Walt Disney World introduced Disney Magic to Florida with the opening of the Magic Kingdom. That was just the beginning. On October 1st, 1982, Epcot Center hailed the dawn of a new Disney era with Future World and World Showcase. Come this spring, Walt Disney World will unveil its third theme park. I mean the biggest project since Epcot Center. The Disney MGM Studios bringing you movie magic and excitement unlike anything you've ever seen. The Disney MGM Studios... I do have a a few notes on Disney's Hollywood Studios. A couple of things that we should note as we go, you know, board our friendship 
and then uh, walk through the International Gateway and board a board a boat to take us across Crescent Lake from from Epcot Center mm-hmm. over to the entrance to Disney's Hollywood Studios. And when you're walking in there in our retro timeline in 1989 when the park opened, you come to an empty open expanse and you go through the turnstiles and you come around the small station in the center there uh, with Mickey on top of the globe and you, you know, look down Hollywood Boulevard and you would see this beautiful Christmas tree uh, standing there in front of the replica of Grauman's Chinese Theater. Now, the original tree had a train set with a miniature Hollywood all around it. So at the base of the tree, there was this model, this miniature model of Hollywood that included uh, like the original Disney Studios on there and Burbank and <laughs> and all kinds of other neat stuff that uh, that they would sprinkle into this model that also had a working train set. Uh, that, that moved through it. At the same time, a lot of the decorations that you see today were used, which are the light poles that have the trees and the stars on them. A more recent addition, but every year you see the mini ornament chorus line in the 5 and 10 window. Uh, but in the original years, including the very first year it opened, the icon for the park was the Earful Tower, which is the water tower with the mouse ears on it. The very first year the park was open, they put a Santa hat on the Earful Tower for the holiday season. I remember and, that. Yeah. And they oh, did made it. a big joke, like some guy carried it up there on the back lot tour. It was always a story, yeah. Yes. And so they did that for a while, and then they decided that that wasn't the park icon anymore. Most most everything of, of those kinds of changes, it looks like the first 11 years, the park pretty much did everything the same every year until the tree was ousted in 2001 because they decided to build a gigantic stupid hat of Grauman's <laughs> Chinese theater. We, we all, we all have, I hate that hat. Yeah. So the hat, uh, ousted the tree and they well, said, they burned okay, it to the ground now. So we're just take going it easy. to put the tree. And so they moved the tree outside the park entrance. Now this was something they had already done when they opened the animal kingdom a few years earlier in 1998. And there was no real appropriate place to put the Christmas tree in that park because the park's icon was a gigantic tree. So there was, it would have looked silly to put a Christmas tree in front of another gigantic tree. And if you've been to the animal kingdom, you know, there's really no, no real appropriate place you could put it. So there they put the, the, the tree actually outside the turnstiles as you arrive at the park. And that one's got decorations of animal ornaments and things like that. Uh, well, they decided to do the same thing at, at the Hollywood Studios, uh, which is how it is actually still today. Uh, the tree is put up uh, right outside the turnstiles at the entrance plaza, and it's decorated with uh, movie reels and all kinds of other Hollywood stuff. It's it's kind of neat. Uh, two other things they do in that park that, that I want to touch on. One, we can probably do a whole show on at some point, but uh, the they do have a year-round Christmas shop there. Uh, as they do in uh, the uh, in Epcot and and uh, the Magic Kingdom, uh, but there it's called It's a Wonderful Shop. I love this this little spot because it's got fake snow out front all year round. Yeah, but uh, one of the things they do is the the shop is laid out in like a, a New York Street area, and there's a second floor. Uh, there's a there's a fire escape over it, and they put the coolest like six foot 
Santa Claus up there <laughs> on the fire escape every year. It's still there. It's still there this year. Uh, but they only put them out at Christmas time. So the other 11, you know, 10 months of the year by their calendar, the shop doesn't have anything out there. It's just the, it's a wonderful shop, but you know, for that, those two months a year, they put that Santa Claus up there. Hmm. And there is one other thing that they do with the Hollywood studios for Christmas. And this is the final year for it. That's right. Joe? Yeah. The Osborne Lights. Yes. The Osborne Family Spectacle of Lights. Not Ozzy Osborne, for those who don't know what we're talking about. (laughs) So the story behind these, for those who don't know, uh, I actually remember this being like headline news in the 1990s. Uh, Every year, Jennings Osborne, who was a a wealthy Little Rock, Arkansas businessman, would would, uh, pay for this massive display of, of, uh, of a million lights. Uh, in front of his house, and it would draw a bazillion people. It would create massive traffic jams, and uh, the neighbors started to complain because people would come from pretty much every person in Arkansas would drive in to see this thing. And uh, I, re- I remember watching it on CNN. That there was the court battle over whether he was going to be allowed to keep lighting the lights, and eventually the neighbors won that it was a nuisance, and the court ordered him to to darken the lights. Uh, as was part of Michael Eisner's uh, modus operandi back then, he called them up and said, hey, we'll take your lights and put them up down here. So uh, Jennings Osborne sold the lights to Disney, and Disney brought them down here, and uh, they set them up on the studio lot through Residential Street, which, of course, no longer exists. But back then, Residential Street was part of the tram tour, and, it, you know, they had houses from f- famous TV facades like the Golden Girls house and the house from Empty Nest and the house from one of the Ernest movies that JT probably knows which one. Uh, saves Christmas. Ernest Saves Christmas. There you go. <laughs> gotcha. He's our official Ernest uh, encyclopedia. It's on Netflix right now, instant, if you're interested. And, so. So the I remember difference. part of that was recorded on the back. <laughs> no, it was recorded. Yeah. I'm not kidding you. Like Filmed I literally it. watch it because you can see where they're driving around and you see the signs. He was driving like you know on the Disney roads. Like, yeah. you know. <laughs> they didn't go to – it's like Thunder in Paradise. Dri- they didn't hide Yeah, drive, driving by Hulk Hogan and Thunder in Paradise. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, go ahead, sir. Um, <laughs> so, so the uh, – <laughs> Yes, we have to get to the good part of the Osborne family. So originally, by the way, the way this was done uh, was there was one entrance and one exit. I, 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 I love the Osborne lights, but I hate going to see them because it's just this mass of humanity now and strollers and people stopping and taking pictures and video. And it, the way that it was back then, there was one entrance point and they would let you in uh, and you would actually walk through residential street at your own pace, everyone going in the same direction, uh, and you would take it in, and you'd make your way through, and there was one exit point. So you'd, it, was, it was one single one-way direction to get through the attraction. And I just remember it being like the nicest, most serene Christmas music's playing. And, and now it's, I, I don't know, it's like, the, it's like the difference between going to like an, an old corner tavern and then walking into like a 
like a club, like a nightclub. And the only thing missing is the pumping music there. (laughs) Yeah, I got to experience that, too. And it was it was really nice. It was like you said, it was just a very relaxing. It was very cool that it was on, you know, on houses. So it it was more of a sort of a reproduction of what he did at his house. You know, it seemed more quaint, I guess. Because it was houses rather than stuff spread up all over through that huge, you know, intersection. Well, now, right. do, I re- do I recall you just walked that at that time? Yes. Yeah. Now, I remember doing that like one year, two years or something like that when it was back there. Which was also a unique experience because you never got to walk through there. Yeah, 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 yeah. The rest of the year was on the tram tour. I uh, recall so- like one of the houses had a bike in the yard and they just completely decked out the bike laying there like yes. in lights. Like all the spokes had like rope lights in it and... Yep. I mean, it, it, so it was, uh, there are some that's videos. All I got. What? I said, that's all I got. I don't know how much yeah, more than I remember the bikes. I mean, no, that was good. Yeah. So, so one of the, uh, I, 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 I want to remember, I'm trying to remember if they decorated Herbie or not. Cause then he used to ride by Herbie and he would go up and down on that. Yeah. Tour. Hmm. I'm, I'm I'm trying to remember if there was if he was on that tour or not. I don't remember. I don't remember when I saw it. I do not remember him being there. I I think he, uh, he occasionally had maintenance issues and would kind of disappear for stretches. Got it. Yeah, but so you'd end up in what was that town square uh, where they used to begin and end the tour. You drive through that town square, and that was always decorated. And the town squares where they would have the angel, the carousel of angels that was always up top and would spin around and. Uh, but it was, you know, it was, again, it was a really, really nice, nice yeah. thing. I seem to recall they had a stage there, too, that they would do some live entertainment on uh, through the holidays. Like, I, I want to say I went there for New Year's Eve and they had Eddie Money playing uh, <laughs> on the stage there. Take me home tonight. So, so once, so once they uh, demolished Residential Street to build the Lights, Motors, Action uh, stunt show. Uh, they then crammed it into New York street. Uh, I think it's really, that's where it's all, that's pretty much all of it now. Right. It's New York street. And yeah, I get with that in the San Francisco yeah. uh, street yeah. too. So it's all that left. It's left so, of the lottery. So, so it's all kind of crammed in there. They let people in from, oh, I think you can still only get in one side now. I don't remember. I think you can only get in one. They only, they only let you in the one side, now. but it's just, it's so much more cramped and crammed and, and not anything like the original the original was so we'll stop with the remember when stuff there and and i think all and the actual lights are all different now too because they replaced all of his lights with oh, led yeah. lights a couple of years ago right well, they say that, too isn't there that wives tale that like they just throw them all away every year and start fresh because it's cheaper <laughs> i i don't know that what i do know is that it well you know originally it was a static light display and then somewhere in the mid OOs, when the whole computer controlled lights things, it be, they became the Osborne spectacle of dancing, dancing. lights. Uh, and so now it's you know, all this that coordinated to terrible Mannheim steamroller synth music and stuff. And glow with the show. Yeah. There's more magic on the way, so stay right where you are. especially for systems from Atari, the video game that lets you help E.T. get home, just in time for Christmas. Happy holidays 
from Atari. Shh, don't wake him. Bluebeard's the grumpiest pirate afloat. But we're supposed to cheer him up. Who goes there? Snap, crackle, pop. Sir? State your business, mates. To put fun into your morning. What be fun? Kellogg's Rice Krispies cereal. It's fun to put snap, crackle, pop into your morning. Part of this complete breakfast. <laughs> A talking treasure. Sir, where do pirates come from? Pittsburgh. Where else? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Walt Disney World's very Merry Christmas Parade, everybody. We're live from the Magic Kingdom in Florida, and here are some characters that are plenty live. You better believe it. Yes, here's Nibblelips. So that is uh, the four parks, but that is not where our Christmas extravaganza ends. And obviously, again, the caveat, we know that's not comprehensive for every park. There's plenty left there for another show. But it, we would be remiss to not mention the other big, most uh, remembered uh, Christmas-themed uh, show that they did, which was the Downtown Disney. Before it was Downtown Disney, it's now Disney Springs. Before that, it was Lake Buena Vista Shopping Village and the Disney Shopping Village and five Roger or six Island. other names. Right? Um. So that opened in 1973. They opened the shopping village. And there had been some debate over, and, and when I say debate, I mean between actual cast members who participated. There is vociferous debate between whether the first year they did the live nativity at Downtown Disney in either 1975 or 1976. Uh, Hal had found something that said, uh, a comment actually on a video that said 1976. I found photos and cast members who swore it was 1975. I have the 1975 brochure, uh, and the 1975 brochure did not uh, mention the event going on. So I don't know whether it was in 1975 or not, because I was one uh, and <laughs> yeah. I was not in Florida. Sorry. But I am going to accept that it was either 1975 or 76. What everyone agrees on is that this show, which I'll describe in a second, was performed originally under what was the Captain's Tower, uh, which there's a ton of pictures of because it was one of the landmarks in in uh, the, the, the Lake Buena Vista shopping village. Uh, and so the first two years it was, it is generally agreed by everybody that it was done underneath the tower. And then after that, because it was growing in popularity, they moved it to a stage that they constructed. So they had this nativity show called the glory and pageantry of Christmas. And, uh, the first couple years that it was performed, uh, it was a very small regarded as a very intimate show. Uh, because how, what did you say the initial group was? So, uh, so it would start off with, uh, with four singers and kind of Victorian garb and they would come out and do a couple of songs and sort of warm up the crowd. And then the baritone guy would, uh, would start the narration and then, uh, you'd, uh, as he would tell the story, it's like people would walk up on the stage, uh, and fulfill their parts and then just kind of freeze. So <laughs> it was, it was very unusual in that, but I'll, 
I'll let you like tell more of the story of how who they are and how they got right. there. And all that so, stuff. so, so two side notes: the group that came out for some reason in in Elizabethan Victorian garb, because apparently people dress like that in the time of Jesus. Uh, they was a group called Regeneration, and they actually have a Christmas album out, which includes. Uh, <laughs> which includes some of the very pieces of music and arrangements that they performed in the show. Uh, so that is somewhere probably out of print, somewhere on a vinyl album, eight track or cassette tape that you can hunt down and find. Uh, but I've yeah, got so- the wax. I've got the wax cylinder. <laughs> <laughs> he plays that thing all day. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I threw your carousel of progress line at you. So, so we, uh, <laughs> sorry. Um, so they would, as a house said, these guys would come out and the different actors would come out and it was playing, say Joseph and Mary came to Bethlehem and they would walk out. Think, think the peanuts Christmas special as they're just, as they're reading the story and people are acting it out, but they would, they, yeah, they, they'd come on stage and then as house said, they would freeze and it would eventually create a living tableau. The whole show was about, 30 minutes i want to say 30 or 40 minutes yeah i think that's right uh so what the cast members uh from from that they recount is if you watch there is a video of the entire show so you can see it from from the 1980s when it ran uh they would black out the stage at, at certain points to set up different things and when they would black the stage out the people who were in these living tableaus the cast members say that's when they would all just like shake it all about and try and like shake their limbs loose and blink their eyes and, you know, stretch. And then they'd have about 10 seconds to then get back into positions. <laughs> so, so, so then it would come back on and there'd be like a new person on stage and everybody had to kind of be back in their places. So that's one cast member story that, that, that they, t- that they talked about. Uh, after a couple of years, the thing got big and they decided to build a stage uh, by the Empress Lily uh, or towards the Empress Lily. Uh, down on the edge of the water. Now, the cast members who remember this remember two things about it. It got noticeably colder when they were right on the water. So the the common recounting from everyone who worked on the show was how cold they were because they'd get up there in these in these costumes. And, you know, Florida, Central Florida, although this week isn't a good indicator, can often get chilly weather in December, January, and February, especially in the evenings. Uh, so they're down there. Uh, in the beginning, it was only a couple of performances. They added some as it went on. But uh, but in the beginning, it was performed the week leading up to Christmas Eve two times a night. And in the mid-80s, they, would, they, they, they did it on three nights. Uh, it never turned into with the candlelight or any of that stuff. They were, they were doing 50 shows or anything like that. Yeah, but I, yes. I, can, I will agree. It would, uh, there would be certain nights that it was quite cold. Because when we moved to Florida in 79, we went every year until, from 79 until they stopped doing that show. And it could get very cold, especially on the water right there. Right. Yeah, the the world famous uh, half inch snowfall was in seventy seven. So that that kind of makes sense with uh, you know that must have been a, a cold year. Also, too, my understanding is they they all the cast members too. A little known fact is that um, uh, to warm up, they would actually go back to Roy's cabin, <laughs> and uh, I, they had some you know nice fireplace there. Cocoa and, yeah, 
Yes, right that, on the that, edge. That's they they take a boat over there. They take a boat right afterwards, yep. right, right 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 up the the water. You were absolutely correct, Todd. That was that was where the post show was. Uh, so yeah, they would just stand there. The other story about so each year they'd add these these cast members. They'd add people to it because they'd say, well, we have this big stage and it's so popular. So we'll add a candle maker this year and a, and a, and we'll add a, a shepherd and we'll add and they kept adding angels. And uh, a cast member who was telling the story said, does everybody remember the year one of the angels fell in the lake? <laughs> <laughs> so apparently one of the angels got a little too, their, their wings weren't quite, quite lofty enough. And uh, they went over into the drink off the riser. Yeah, I guess we should mention that the way that that stage is set up is it's a little bit different. The stage is kind of in the same location now as it was then, but there was no back to that. It was literally just a platform that was built right out onto the water. So there was nothing to catch anybody uh, if they spilled off of it. And I want to say that set was was built right up against it. And the stage was quite small. It is was not as expansive as it is today. It was it was a very small stage. So, yeah, um, so. So it was very popular, as Hal can attest, since he says his family went every year. It was also yeah, free. It was it, free, yeah. as opposed to, you know, up until 81, everything in the parks was ticketed by ride. And after that, it was, a you know, one price every day to get in. Uh, but this was an attraction that was free, and, and Disney wasn't known at that time for doing a lot of free things. Uh, so the initial thought process behind why they designed this was to draw locals in during the Christmas season to shop at the village for Christmas presents. So it was supposed to be a boon to the merchants. The show continued. Uh, now, how do you happen to know? I mean, we, we've, I think we've got evidence that it went into the early nineties. Yes. Uh, yes. I want to say that it, it, I'll, while you're talking, I will go, uh, play Wikipedia man. And look yeah, that you, up. you can play, but the, <laughs> I think the best indication we got was when they, when they did the whole, um, West side and, and pleasure Island and all that, that eventually they, they, you know, somewhere around that time frame they, they sunset the program. And the reason they sunset the program was that they, they were not, people would come and watch the tableau and watch the show, but they weren't shopping. Uh, and obviously, you know, in the nineties, the focus of, you know, what was Lake Buena Vista village turning into downtown Disney, it wasn't so much that they were looking for locals to come and do their Christmas shopping anymore. It was, it was just a nighttime destination for the resort vacationers. Um, well, and I'll tell you, it did, it got quite because of the popularity, it got so busy there. I mean, it was, it was a madhouse in its final years. So people might have come to watch the show and just thought it is way too busy to try to deal with it. Uh, and so that's why they left. Yeah. So, so, so it eventually retired uh, and they don't do the show anymore, but people have very, very fond memories of it. Some of the other stuff that they used to do, uh, if you went down there uh, at the time and you w weren't watching the nativity, uh, it was all part of what they would call it each year. They'd do a 12 days of Christmas promotion in, in the downtown area, uh, all designed to kind of promote shopping and people to visit the place. One of the things they used to do down there was the marvelous, magical Christmas tree stage show. Uh, so, so on the nights, you know, leading up to it. And that was a, that was a, you know, a show that would have the characters come out. Uh, there is actually no care. I'm sorry. Scrap that. 
the Marvelous Magical Christmas Tree Stage Show, which there is actually a video we'll post a link to. And that was this bizarre <laughs> kind of, uh, you know, again, had a narrator. All of these people, how, were in Victorian garb. Okay. And, and they'd come out onto stage and they would tell portions of the story of the nativity and other Christmas related stories. And then there would be in between them, there would be songs. They would sing songs very much along the voices of Liberty type of, of, of performance. Uh, and that was like a half an hour long and they'd come out and do this stage show of, you know, someone standing there saying, and then this happened. And oh. <laughs> you know? uh, So we'll post the link to that. You can watch that as well, but it was another show that they did on the stage to entertain the shoppers couple of other things noted down there uh, from people was the Christmas tree. And in the 80s and 90s, the tree there was like 40 feet high. Uh, and it was surrounded by these five-foot packages. Uh, and the packages were laid out at the base of the tree. But there was this huge field that they would build of, of red poinsettias at the bottom uh, that made up the base, <clears throat> like, the, like the ground where they were setting the presents. And then the tree rose up from it. There's a couple of pictures. I'll have to see if we can snag one of them and post that as well, where people have taken pictures of their kids standing next to the tree, and the kids look like like they're they're smaller than the presents under the tree. There's this massive tree <laughs> over top of them. So uh, at some point, they stopped doing that, uh, and it was when they when they were changing over the stores, I guess, and eventually they moved the tree, a smaller tree, outside of the Once Upon a Toy Store. And the tree would be decorated with uh, actual toys, like like you know etch a sketches and like not actual etch a sketches, like cartoony etch a sketches. Yeah, yeah. They would uh, fabricate <laughs> stuff that was like oversized, and and that's what they would decorate it with was with, with stuff to go in the toy toy store and buy. And that lasted until 2011 when they replaced it with a more traditional, a more traditional tree. Uh, and how you had a memory of some ice skating down there. Yeah, I recall um, the year. I think we probably drove out to see the the Christmas show, the the Glory and the Pageantry of Christmas, and uh, we all sat down. And then all of a sudden, one year there was something completely different there, which was a it was like the supposed to be like the exterior, I think, of like Mickey or Minnie's house, and they had uh, which had was at the time I think kind of novel that artificial ice. Uh, Yes, that material stuff that you can ice skate on, and they did like, this like yeah. character ice skating show hmm. uh, in that same spot instead, um, which I, I think might have lasted for a year or two, and then I think they might have actually moved it into one of the parks for a while. Okay. A little hazy on that one, so again, some some help, uh, some help from some. And they still have. Uh, well, I don't know. I shouldn't say this still because I almost never go to downtown Disney anymore, but. I know years, years, when I say years, a few years ago, they still had, they had an ice skating rink down there like this time of year that you could rent like mm -hmm. skates and go skating on. Oh, okay. I don't know if they still have that or not, but <clears throat> it was certainly a product of the two thousands. They had a, it was right. If I remember correctly, it was right between the world of Disney store and whatever the hell is across the, the way from it. They used to put up a little ice skating rink and you could, gotcha. you mm. could skate there. I'll tell you one of my favorite, like holiday memories is does it uh, involve pie it doesn't it doesn't <laughs> but it, it involves a shop very close to where we used to go get the pie uh the christmas store there yes um oh, for yeah. years and years and, and it may still be there but i don't recall it on a on my last couple of visits 
they used to have a uh, a music box, uh, one of these <laughs> old style ones uh, that played discs, these big giant twelve inch silver discs. Yes. Oh, with the little uh, holes in them, right? Yeah, with the holes yeah, in yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that that mu- that to me just always said Christmas. Hmm. Uh, they they sold CD. I think they actually sold the music box players there, and I ended up picking up a CD from that place, and I put that on, and it just reminds me of like being a kid and going into that Christmas shop. Um, yeah. So their marketing for the for the uh, village at the time, the shopping village, was. I mean, it, it's some of their best written stuff because you read it and you're like, boy, I really want to go there. Like, it just sounds like this fantastic <laughs> shopping experience. So from the 1983 write up, it's, you know, visit an old fashioned toy shop where plush 10 foot giraffes, miniature working steam engines and exquisite Madame Alexander dolls surround you with a child's Christmas fantasy. I mean, who doesn't want to go do that? Peer into the windows of a candy factory. Gaze at treetops, glistening and sparkling holiday decorations in a fanciful nutcracker suite. And pause to enjoy a palm-stretching roast beef sandwich at an outdoor table while holiday carolers fill the air with music. Palm-stretching roast beef sandwich? Yeah, from Heidelberger's Deli. Yeah. Sounds great. It was, was, I'll tell you, they did a... Um, they did a lot of promotional stuff to try to bring locals out there. Uh, and like you said, with the captain's tower, it's like, that was the first place that they, they put a lot of local entertainment in and it was huge in the holidays. It was packed. It was, it was a really, really nice event. Um, it was always busy. Um, it was, that's one of the things that I always think about Disney and Christmas. It's like, I think about Lake Buena Vista before I think of anything else. Mm-hmm. You've just begun to discover the joys of Christmas shopping at the village. You'll also <laughs> find old world craftsmen at work, original art displays, New York fashions, European antiques, and special gifts from all six continents. <laughs> yeah. And there would have been nothing in central Florida. As you've talked about before, it's like there were not, I mean, there were, you know, some malls in Orlando, uh, things that don't, probably don't even exist anymore, like Orlando Fashion Square and Colonial Plaza. You wouldn't have any kind of selection like you would have got there. You had really unique stuff at the village at that time. Right, yeah. So I hope I haven't bored you all with our brief tour around the four parks, uh, very brief on Animal Kingdom and the Hollywood Studios and, uh, and the downtown area. But uh, that's just an inkling uh, of some of what went on during the holidays in the early years of the parks. Yeah, and we didn't even mention the hotels and how each of the oh. hotels would always so, do. Uh, so in preparing for this episode, I, I started making notes on the, on the resorts. And then I said, this is going to be a Herman Woke Winds of War style episode <laughs> if, if I don't decide to contain it. Because the resorts are just – it's a whole – you know, you've got 20 years of the contemporary and the Polynesian before they were really building and opening other resorts. And then you've got everything that they've done where they really just tried to, I, I, in fact, I have a marketing brochure. I, I want to say it's from 93 or 92. They, <clears throat> where they had opened, you know, the grand Floridian and they had opened the Port Orleans resort. And, and so they're, they're marketing all of this stuff and, and everything that they're doing there. And we've got a new England Christmas at the yacht club and we've got a, it's just way too much. We can do it next year. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Brian, appreciate uh, all the efforts there and great stories. And uh, uh, we'll return after a message from our sponsors. 
Arcade players, get ready. The new Atari 5200 Super System is here. With a controller so advanced, it plays arcade. Graphics so real, it looks arcade. With arcade hits, you can't play on any other system. No other home video system can touch it. The new Atari 5200 Super System. It's as good as you are. Maybe even better. Next time. Well, it's time for viewer mail. JT, you ran out there this month. Lots of letters flying in and out. What do we got? Uh, who wrote into us this month? What do we have to go over? Um, got one from a good friend who discusses us with us the um, burning scent in the Pirates of the Caribbean. What do you guys know about that? Is that real? Is that fake? Is he's is his mother remembering incorrectly? And same for what the eighties or nineties, right? Yeah, eighties, nineties. The burning scent. I honestly, I feel like it. Is there something still there? Or is this just me remembering incorrectly? I don't know. I personally don't recall any smell there. How? No, I I think I read that they recently just added some <clears throat> some smell some smellitzers in there. Hmm. Uh, but no, classically, no. The uh, sort of like the stench of of water and uh, probably yeah, the and <laughs> rot. Yeah. But I love I the water never, smell. I never remember any kind of burning smell from the fire sequences or anything. So it could be the smell of hydraulic fluid in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) So it could just be a uh, confusion with Spaceship Earth and that burning scene getting the possibly crossed in the mind. He says one more thing about his mom remembering a video of Walt introducing the contemporary with its A-frame design, which he says he doesn't see as possible, and I kind of tend to agree with him. Do you think that's true? Well, I know that Walt never really talked about the actual final design that I know of. Um, you know, my only thought process would be some sort of, you know, edited clip put together or or uh, where he's talking about, uh, you know, Project Florida and edited together with, with uh, some actual footage and stuff after after the park had opened. But I don't know if you guys recall anything else, just seeing something of that nature. Yeah, I don't I, feel like Walt talked about the U.S. steel design. That seems past his era. We'll say. Well, you know, he did have a nice chest of drawers up in his office. That he, <laughs> he did. Inspiration where he up, could so. see Roy's cabin from. Uh, yeah, yeah, he could with see the Roy's. McFarkles. Yeah. I, I am. Uh, I, I just want you to say, uh, if you use any of our answers to prove your mom wrong, you're not allowed to say, "Hey, the guys at Retro Disney World said you're wrong, mom." <laughs> <laughs> I told you, mom. Yeah, told the you. meatloaf. <laughs> all right jt what else we have this month um we had the other one which um talks a lot about film and things of that nature i was going to pass that off to you since you're the pro in all of that 35 millimeter film um yeah so right yeah yeah so th- this gentleman named tim wrote in uh and he took a look at our magic of walt disney world film that we uh restored and, and did an entire episode on last uh last month and um, we talked about that uh, some of the scenes, specifically the Country Bears and, and the Hall of Presidents, kind of looking odd. And, um, you know, they just didn't have the same color and they didn't look as crisp as the remainder of the, uh, 
the, the film. And um, what he could tell from the cropping and also because he has worked in the, in the uh, film industry was that chances are those scenes were originally shot on 16 millimeter. Um, and then if we, if you recall last month, we talked about how this was a theatrical release. So there was a 35 millimeter print of the film made. So the 16 millimeter, uh, footage of hall presence, country bears was, uh, blown up to fit a 35 millimeter format. And then in order to make the final 16 millimeter print that we have, uh, it was then shrunk back down. So if you think about it, it's it's you know it's a third generation copy. Um, so the the grain was exploded, uh, and then the grain was then shrunk back down into, into uh, again for the third copy. So, and then of course the you know the copy we have is is a print from the master. So you know you're you're three generations removed. So uh, it was interesting to, to have somebody who who's worked with film and be able to um, uh, pick that out. And uh, and determine that that's probably why, and that that makes sense. Some of that footage was uh, probably cheaper to shoot and, and easier to shoot uh, with sixteen millimeter, millimeter cameras in in, in the attractions. So. Well, I think they used to sh- <clears throat> anything that was shot for television back yeah. then was usually shot on sixteen. Sixteen, yeah, yeah. So most most of your uh, most of your television shows uh, that were shot on film back then to be broadcast were shot on sixteen because the quality was good enough for for television broadcast at that point. Okay, yeah, and this stuff also would have been then shrunk also down to to eight millimeter, yep. as well used in those super films. So, um, hey, Tim also wrote to us. So guys, remember last month we we, we loved the um, Dick well, who, who we thought was Dick Nunes water skiing in the water skiing show. Um, <laughs> the, there he goes says Dick Nunes. <laughs> <laughs> he could remember up until the mid '80s that uh, they did this early in the morning as the Magic Kingdom was opening. So they'd launch it right. From the Seven Seas Lagoon uh, ferry boat dock at the TTC, and um, they would kind of entertain the crowd uh, waiting on the dock for the boats before they started running. Goofy and Pluto would come out. Uh, it took place for a couple minutes in the morning before all the rental boats hit the hit the lagoon. So, kind of interesting, the a little bit of a memory there of uh, of that stuff going on. So, a little more of the. The water skiing mystery song. What a scene, though. You're like waiting at the TCC to get on your boat to the Magic Kingdom, and there's just like this water ski spectacle going on. Is that what he's saying? Yeah, yeah. They would wow. just, just do this small, and maybe not as extensive as we saw in the film, but still. Yeah. Still, though, you're just chilling like, oh, my God, and then Pluto goes skiing by. It's cool. <laughs> Dogs can't ski. Look right. at that, Marjorie. Yeah. And there goes yeah, Dick Nunes, honey. Get out the 8mm and film that. <laughs> so... All right, nice. well, uh, JT, tell them where they can find us, how they can get their letters and, and mail out to us. Um, questions, comments, concerns, podcast at RetroDisneyWorld.com. Send it our way. Um, holiday season, I know everybody's a little busy, but if you have any positive feedback or questions about what we discussed on this episode, that is where you can reach us. Exactly. So, all right. Um Let's talk a little bit about our t-shirts and merchandise. As always, RetroDisneyWorld.com forward slash support us. Got all sorts of great t-shirts and designs. And how you you kept this latest one completely secret. You you mentioned it, but tell tell the listeners what you what you made went live. I know we've sold a handful of them so far. Yeah. So so with the uh, the final closing of of Captain EO uh, upon us, who knows? Maybe for the last time. Maybe this. Maybe he'll come back again. If he came back once, you never know he could come back. He'll be again. back. Don't worry. Yeah. It's a matter of time. He's you know what? He's there when we need him. That's that's right. That's when the world point. needs Captain EO, he comes out mm-hmm. of comes out of He's retirement. here to save the world. That's right. If somebody give uh, him a flat tire right when we need him too. That's <laughs> um so uh 
so as a as a tribute to uh, to the good captain, oh captain, my captain, uh, I put together uh, a t-shirt design uh, of see you later trash cans of like three Captain EO trash cans with see you later uh, up in the in the spot where the push would be. Nice. Uh, and uh, and I'm gonna do some surprise uh, some surprise holiday themed uh, t-shirts too. So be on the Everybody, open your browsers right now because yep. uh, as as we play this back, uh, they will be on the shop for you to. Retro, yeah, retrodisneyworld.com forward slash support us. Let's just say if so. you're uh, if you like another captain who is no longer uh, at the resort, I think you will find something that might be uh, cat to your interest. Captain Salty Hinder. <laughs> <laughs> back in this past 90 minutes you've seen a side of christmas that makes us all laugh and smile but there's another side of the holiday we'd like to share with you it's a feeling all right normally we do the film restoration portion of the program right now but uh we we did a pretty lengthy one last month um so we're gonna skip this month but instead we have a very uh a very good story from glenn simpson if you remember back in episode 12 uh glenn discussed some um uh stories of him bumping boats and bumping buses and world showcase and uh when we spoke with him we asked him to tell us a little bit of a christmas story so uh so we spoke to glenn and uh this is what he had to say back in 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 those days which probably this was 1983 um the both the magic kingdom and the epcot epcot center would close early on christmas eve uh like at 6 p.m so that cast members could spend time with their families and guests could go back to their hotels and everything to get ready for Santa's visit later on that evening. And um, at the time, I was working in World Showcase. As, uh, the job title was Lagoon Transportation Lead, and part of the role of that was just to ensure that the area was uh, somewhat clean and, and, and well kept during the day of operation. And it was getting probably a little bit later in the evening. Uh, sun was starting to go down, even though this is central Florida. It still gets uh, uh, dark uh, around Christmas time fairly early. So I'm guessing it was probably around 5 o'clock or so. And I'm walking in front of American Adventure. And the uh, the Christmas tree, which was live tree, uh, both in the Magic Kingdom and Epcot, they we brought in from California and uh, they would have these huge uh, ornaments placed on them and everything, and just like today. And the Christmas tree in Epcot Center was between World Showcase and uh, Future World. And so as walking by American Adventure, I look across the lagoon, and the tree is not straight. Instead, it's pretty well tilted. And um, you know, kind of did a double take because a 65-foot Christmas tree that's kind of tilted is sort of odd looking. So I contacted my supervisor by radio as well as uh, I think security and a couple other uh, departments and everything. And um, with a tree that high, uh, there are guy wires up near, near the top. And what had happened apparently is one of those guy wires had um, come apart. Nobody was hurt. Um, the tree was slighted, slightly tilted if you were close to the tree, you may not even notice it. It was sort of a visual thing from a distance where you could see it was, um, uh, uh, you know, a little, it was tilting to one, one side. So what I believe happened is they were able to kind of cordon off that area. Uh, and because it was Christmas Eve, the park was getting ready to close. 
And again, no events, no incidents, anything like that. And one of the ideas of Disney having so many people just trying to keep an eye on things is to help avoid any kind of safety event from happening. And so all, it was all good, but that night, Christmas Eve, they had to fix the guy wire so Christmas morning, you know, everybody could come in and the tree would be standing, standing straight. So, um, it, you know, it's considered, uh, you know, the feedback that I got, it was considered kind of a good catch uh, because um, it could have been a situation that uh, it could have, could have been worse than what it was. But um, it, it was kind of interesting to see a, a tree leaning off or <laughs> the, the leaning, the, the leaning the, Christmas tree of Epcot Center. Yeah. The Canadian who saved Christmas. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, big thanks to Glenn Simpson for for telling that story. What a and, great story! Uh, yeah, fantastic. Great, perfect for this episode. Thanks, Glenn. With all the excitement, you might think that this is the end, but, but hold on, on because we are going to come right back, and we will have a special Christmas finale that you will remember for a long, a long time. Very long time. So don't go away. Hi, I'm Vicky. Where's the world's greatest resort? Watch this, then stay tuned. I'll be back in a minute with a free offer. Daddy's got a new job. Maybe he and Mom forgot what childhood means. I'll never meet Mickey Mouse. Maybe we'll go. Hey, little girl, do you think that no one cares about uh -uh. you? Uh-uh. Daddy's working. That's what you think. These are times you'll always treasure. Now your dreams come true. Sharing all the fun. Together at Hi again. Right now, rooms are available in the famous Walt Disney World Resort hotels. Call this toll-free number, and we'll show you more in this 28-page vacation magazine, yours free. It's filled with the rooms, recreation, and fantasy of the world's greatest resort. Call this toll-free number now. The rooms, the fun, and your free magazine are waiting. All right, well, this is the segment that you have all been waiting for a year to hear. It is audio rewind, as always, but tonight we will be giving away the big prize. That's $10 right. $10 million. <laughs> Whoa, wait a minute. Who agreed to that? Sold a lot of T-shirts this year, folks. <laughs> We've been doing really well. Now, tonight we're going to be giving away this month's uh, the, the yearly prize, the big prize we're talking about, which is the replica Paul Hartley map from WDWmap.com. But oh, first. We're not going with the rice aroni this year? No, oh, we did have a year supply. Yeah, right. steak? That's, Quaker, that's right. Quaker steak oil. We may have some hamburger helper left. I'm not sure. Jelly of the month club. Jelly of the month. So before we get to that, we are going to rewind to last month's um, rewind puzzler, and uh, let's take a listen real quick to last month's. All right. Well, if you guys out there guessed the Pirates of the Caribbean, it was the digging scene from the queue. Uh, you were correct. And this month's winner is Preston Wheelis. Congratulations, Preston. You'll be receiving the Progress City Primer from um, Autograph by... Michael Crawford. Michael Crawford. Sorry about that, Michael. Forgot your name there for a second, but completely autographed. So we'll get that out to you. And, um, and we really dig your answer. That's for, ah, uh, uh, it's nice. autographed. That's awesome. Yes. <laughs> so we're going to take a listen to this month's. Uh, guys, I have a new prize to give away that. Do you guys remember Chris Buckles? We yes. had him on the show a little while. Oh, yeah, yeah. That? Yes. Chris yes. had uh, drawn that wonderful uh, transportation map 
Uh, I'm sorry, transportation vehicles. Well, he has uh, done it again, this time Main Street, USA. And and uh, he sent me a bunch of the posters. So we're going to give... Okay. Uh, we're going to give those away. This, this It's all month. the buildings, right? Yeah, it's all the buildings of Main the buildings Street, left and right Schultz side. Is a good guy. Yeah. Got so so what you remember is uh, the, the transportation poster was all the vehicles that are used in rides or to get around the resort, uh, transportation of any kind. He's made a, a poster of all of them, and he's done the same thing here with this, with this Main Street uh, poster. He's basically taking every representation of a building on Main Street and going ahead and put them on a poster. Yep. And the sales pitch that I give is that if you live with people who are not uh, Disney fans uh, and they don't let you hang up your uh, pictures of Figment and Dreamfinder brochures and park maps from the 1970s, uh, these, these actually do not screen Disney. You can hang them in your family room or your study uh, without drawing immediate attention to what it is. It actually just looks like some kind of decorative artwork. It's beautiful. And it's very insane, like, uh, what's... insanely detailed. Yeah. Yes. yeah. This, this new uh, Main Street one is just so well detailed. And uh, the, the transportation had, what, like 80-some 80, 80 on there? I forget. Like, yeah. Yeah. So. But uh, yeah, but you you can you can buy them on his Etsy Etsy shop. Uh, but obviously, uh, we're going to be giving that giving that away this month. So, um, Hal, let's see. You've probably got something queued up for this month. So uh, let's take a listen. All right, well, if you think you know the answer to this month's audio rewind, send your entries to podcast at retrodisneyworld.com. A random winner will be drawn from all correct entries received this month, and uh, you win the prize if you're pulled from those uh, correct entries of the uh, Main Street uh, poster from Chris Buckles. Submit your entries on or before January 11th, 2016, and all entries will be entered at the big prize drawing in December 2016 for that new big prize. All right, so this is the time that everybody has been waiting for to hear. We have received over 200 and some entries over the past 12, 13 months uh, for the Audio Rewind Puzzler. And uh, it is now time to pick from all those entries and reveal who has won this year's 2015 big prize, which is the uh, replica Paul Hartley map from WDWMap.com. So... uh, Guys, uh, we got a lot of entries over the time, so this, this has got to be exciting for everybody, huh? Yeah, just to recap for everybody, uh, if you send in a, a submitted an answer at any point this year, right or wrong, you yep. got entered into this drawing. That's right, Todd? That's absolutely correct. So it doesn't matter if you got it right, so that's why it's really important every month. Just give us a guess. You never know, because even if you're wrong, you're entered in this in this big prize drawing. So, um, how are you going to queue up uh, some drums here? Sure. And the winner is the 2015 big prize drawing on the Retro Disney World podcast is David Lambie. Congratulations. Yay. Congratulations. You have won the WDW map, uh, the replica Paul Hartley map from WDWmap.com. So congratulations. And uh, we'll be in touch with you getting that out. And um, I'm sure you're going to hang it in a place and of for, prominence in your home. And for all of those who are our runners up, they win. They win. 
From the Variety Fighting Contestants, who received some of the following. Lean hickory smoked sliced bacon from Raft. Gently smoked over genuine hickory pyres. The most flavorful bacon from Raft. Also bright, changing chimes, no wax floors without wax. For a beautiful dynamite, no wax shine. Nothing shines brighter than bright. Plus, beautiful auditions, footwear designed for today's woman who appreciates designers tagging outstanding quality and superb comfort. Experience the difference with auditions by Craddock Terry. Also, Rain Dance Car Wax actually outlasts the leading dealer-applied poly wax. Water beating proves it. DuPont guarantees it. Plus, it's the new shape of pleasure. Light, sparkling, bodily, boldly sophisticated pink champagne that takes you away from the ordinary pink champagne malt liquor from Iroquois brand. All right, so for all you listeners out there, we do have an idea of what we're going to do for next year's big prize. And uh, what we're planning on doing, and I'm going to let Hal explain this. Uh, Hal, why don't you tell what we're going to be doing for next year? So here's what we're thinking. What is better than one prize? More than one more prize. More than one. you got to have multiple. Obviously, right? yeah. obviously more than one prize. And so, so since we're a monthly podcast, why don't we do this? Why don't we start with one prize? And as we go for each one of the each one of these uh, podcasts, we'll add one more prize to the pile. So when we get to next year, we'll have a grand total of like 12 prizes to give away. So let me see if I follow this. In addition to awarding a monthly prize. Right. Yeah. Each month, we're also going to add a prize to a grand total of 12 prizes. That's right. A package that one person will win at the end of the year. That's right. For your card players, like we'll put one prize in the pot. Every time. And then when we get to the get or the kitty, depending on which your house (laughs) rules are, the pod with the kitty. And then when we get to that 12th month, it's like we will give all 12 prizes away to one person along with our regular monthly prices. Wow. I like that idea. I think I think I'm sold on it. All right. I think we're there. There we're there. All right. So and and for the first the first prize that I will put into the prize pot. What do we want to call it? Prize pot, prize kitty. Maybe we'll yeah, so the prize pot. Yeah, the prize pot. First, the <laughs> showcase. Your showcase showdown. Showcase. <laughs> First showcase. All right, uh, I'm gonna throw in a vintage 1970s orange bird yo-yo, oh, still cool. in the package. Wow. Oh, yeah. Wow. So these these have been. Uh, I have a, a number of these that I picked up. In the early 1990s, uh, by going from uh, Orange Grove Roadside Stand to Orange Grove Roadside Stand, and these have been selling on eBay from anywhere between uh, 35 and 100 dollars. So this is a wow. not an insignificant little item to have. Already, the value of the package is just skyrocketing. That's right. We're starting the new year. That's right. We should well, we should put a little counter on the website to show like what the uh, value of right. the price packages is we add to it each month. So yeah, so Orange Bird Yo Yo. There it is. Your showcase showdown. <laughs> Worth a grand total of. Yeah, if you have to, if you're the winner, you have to bid on it and tell us what you think <laughs> it's worth, right? <laughs> well, there it is, everybody. So tune in next month, uh, where we will add a prize to the prize pack. And um, again, if you know the answer to this month's audio rewind, please get your answers in by January 11th, 2016, and you can email those answers to podcast at retrodisneyworld.com. All right. Well, with that, uh, let's move on to the last segment, Listener Memories. As you've heard us say before, we've set up a phone number where you, the listener, can leave us a short, under-three-minute message with your memory from Disney World's past years. 
The number is 978-71-RETRO. We got a couple calls this month, uh, and let's take a listen. <laughs> Hello there. I'm the Dream Finder, and my little purple friend here is a figment of my imagination. Figment, for sure. You know, we've traveled all over the world collecting the stuff dreams are made of. And you wouldn't believe all the dreams floating around out there during Christmas. Oh, yeah, so many of them. You see, we fly through the air in my wonderful dream-catching machine, gathering sunbeams, rainbows, feathers, anything that sparks the imagination. And these last few weeks, we've been collecting the wonderful Christmas wishes our guests here at Epcot Center have been dreaming. And we store these marvelous ideas <laughs> right here in the dream port. Can we see them dream finders? Well, I don't know, Figman. It is Christmas. <laughs> well, why not? Now, let's see now. Where did I put those Christmas dreams? I know I left them around here someplace. Figman, huh? <laughs> look. Wow! Oh, what about hurry, hurry! Figment, calm down. Dreams are delicate things, especially Christmas dreams. <laughs> you ready? Let's see what some of our Epcot Center guests wish for for Christmas. Hello, Retro Walt Disney World. We are Becky and George Miranda. Our podcast was about our honeymoon at Walt Disney World on opening day. We want to wish everyone a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Thank you. Thank you. Ho, 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 Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, everybody. Bill from the Riverboats. This is Glenn Simpson in Greenville, North Carolina, former Walt Disney World cast member from 1978 to 1989 and part of the opening crew of Epcot Center, wishing you and yours a magical Christmas and a supercalifragilisticexpialidocious new year. Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, and season's greetings from WDWMap.com. I hope the winner of the WDW Map really enjoys it. Check WDWMap.com this holiday season for special discounts. It's a perfect gift for anybody, any Disney fan who has everything. Thanks a lot. <laughs> what about all the other dreams, Dream Finders? Well, some of them have already come true, Figment, and some we're just saving for our friend Santa until he needs them. <laughs> but what I keep? Well, a dream never spoils, Figment, because every time you dream it, it becomes as new and fresh as the day it was born. <laughs> so keep dreaming your dreams out there. We'll keep them safe here until they come true. And they will. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> Say goodbye, Figment. Goodbye, Figment. <laughs> All right, thanks everybody for for calling in and giving us some uh, holiday greetings and wishes. So uh, if, if you have a story or would like to just give us a message, give us a call at nine seven eight seventy one retro. All right, so our sponsors, uh, Ticket Mama, for all of your Orlando area ticket needs. Visit TicketMama.com for less than gate prices. And by Rental Car Mama, when renting in Orlando, visit RentalCarMama.com for discounts at Advantage Rental Car and other firms. And also by OrlandoVacation.com, vacation homes and discount hotels for the savvy Florida traveler. And also WWMap.com. Thanks, uh, a big shout out to them for uh, providing this year's big prize. And uh, if you're interested in sponsoring the podcast at all, please email info at RetroDisneyWorld.com. Um, also to our listeners, obviously a big thank you, but if you can, and you want to, we mentioned him earlier, give Bicentennial Ben a shout out on Twitter. His, uh, his Twitter handle is Bicentennial. So that's B I S O N Tennial Ben. Give him a shout out and, uh, and say hello. I'm sure he'll be glad to hear from all of us. And, uh, with that, as always, thank you very much our listeners. Keep the emails and phone calls coming. We love hearing from you. 
Uh, if you give us an iTunes review, if possible, that'd be great. Let your family and friends know about us. And um, before we have Brian take us out, he's got one more Christmas memory he's going to share with us. We wish you all a Merry Christmas and a prosperous New Year. So where it all began and why I'm sitting here today, the scene is Christmas Eve, 1987. My grandmother and great aunt are here with my mom and dad and my brother and sister and uh, some of my aunts. And uh, the shrimp cocktail is out on the, 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 the coffee table and we're each having our Coca-Cola or other beverage of choice. And mom calls uh, me and my brother and sister into the living room and says, okay, you have to come sit down. Now, this is not the kind of thing we ever do on Christmas Eve. Uh, we didn't open presents on Christmas Eve. She said, I have one present you all have to open. And so we were each handed a box. It looked like a, you know, like a typical garment box that you'd open and find a shirt or pair of pants. And uh, we were told we all had to open it together. And so the three of us opened it together. And inside was a, a an envelope from Collegeville Travel with a certificate inside of it. And you pulled it out and it uh, said, congratulations, uh, Merry Christmas. You're going on a th- four night or three night, four day trip to Walt Disney World commencing in January 1988. I think it was about January 20th. I have the certificate still. I still have the envelope. There were brochures inside of it. I've scanned all those brochures in. Uh, But uh, a month later, I made my uh, first trek to Walt Disney World. Ah. And so that all occurred Christmas Eve 1987. So inextricably linked for me is Christmas and Walt Disney World. So Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Happy New Year to everybody. And uh, we'll see you next year. This is ABC.